This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Common Sense Marketing, A Love Affair with Your Customers. And the author is Jacob Levy. And Jacob joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jacob. Hi, hello. Good to hear you. Well, good to have you with us, and you're talking to us from Israel, and we're thrilled to have you on the show. Now, I'd like to read what you have written in a questionnaire that we asked you to fill out about your book. You say this about your book. For over a decade, marketers are occupied in books and in seminars with the subject of emotional marketing, but still, for some reason, they don't talk about love while consumers don't have any qualms about it. Isn't it about time to use love in our marketing jargon? Well, it makes sense. It sounds uh, good, but why aren't people using it? Why don't they go there, Jacob? And before you answer that, tell us a little bit about your background. You've got a lot of decades involved in marketing. Yes, that's right. And uh as I was saying, I, um, I was uh, a student of uh, marketing in the, in my, for my bachelor degree, and then I went to UCLA to get my master's degree in, in, in my MBA, and uh, I stayed in America. I, I owe my professional maturi- maturity to the United States, and because of the fact that I studied there, business administration, and I worked at J. Walter Thompson and other companies, and Madison Avenue as a research analyst. In 1967, I've returned to Israel to be a pioneer of uh, the area of marketing research and marketing consulting. I was the first one to introduce this into Israel. And since then, I, I opened a, a research institute by the name of Gallup, Gallup Israel, which was the largest institute and the first institute in Israel. And then, uh, it, it, the year 2000, I sold it to the American Gallup, and I started working in the other areas. So why is the concept of love missing in marketing? I wish I knew. Uh, I have some uh, hypothesis about it. First, because they never taught us, really, what love is about. They teach us in high school love, but from another angle. They always tell us how to be careful of love. They don't teach us really how to love and the philosophy of love, as they used to do at the at the ancient Hindu in the ancient area uh, 2,000 years ago. And uh, second is because the, we don't have yet a theory uh, of love, and maybe this is the reason why business people don't like to bother with it because they don't we don't have a, a theory but this is this is nonsense because in marketing is is an art more than a science and it's true that we don't have a theory i've looked into the area of neurology and uh, 
and many books concluded that they don't know how to measure love. So maybe because of this, uh, of the two reasons, uh, business are sort of avoiding the issue. And yet, in, in spite of the fact that the business community don't talk about love, as I said, the customer, and especially women, have no problem talking about love to the brands and to the organizations that, that produce those brands. So I was concerned about it, and I decided I would like to study it. And I said to myself, if there is no theory, maybe we should use analogy. And I, I said, if analogy, let's go back to the, to the history and, uh, and find out, maybe there is, uh, I can find out a book that will teach me a little about love, which I didn't know. And I went into Aplaton, Plato, and I went into the Perfume Garden until I reached the Kama Sutra. And I, when I opened the table of, con- of content of the Kama Sutra, I began to shiver. It's exactly what we are teaching our students in the marketing community. And then I decided that maybe we will use the analogy because it talks to people in a very common language and in a language they they really understand. It provides ancient wisdom and techniques that were practiced for generations. On the other hand, it recognizes the importance of the woman in love as both a receiver and a giver. And, and this is what happened in modern society. It enables a new marketing approach based on vocabulary that is familiar to both genders. And believe me, it provides triggers for endless creativity. I've come up with about 20 different new methodologies in my book. And believe me, I believe that there are maybe 50 more uh, that other readers could uh, find out. Well, as you say, since women either participate or influence 85% of all household purchases, and since 85% of marketers are male, there's the problem. But we have an analogy of love, Phil, <laughs> yeah. between the marketer and, yeah. the, and the female. Well, men know how to uh, you know, court a woman, and then, but in business, they forget, I guess, right? Uh, it's not that they know, and yet uh, that we have many problems. And I wish we could, uh, I can see a situation where we will engrave on the walls of the business schools and around the world the need to study woman behavior and woman emotions. Do you know that three years ago, it was the first time for the history of the human being, the first time ever in Berlin in the year 2006, there was the first time the Congress for Gender Medicine they decided that, that there is a difference in, in medicine for, uh, between men and women altogether in every aspect of medicine, which means that we really don't know the, uh, the, uh, the uh, structure of emotions of, of how the women decide, what makes them decide and behave the way they behave. And, and, and this is what marketing is all about. You say love has no rules. It's an instinct. And there lies the art, I guess, because it's instinct. Absolutely. And why, if it is an instinct, maybe we... I, I see the Kama Sutra, the original one, as a Bible 
people believe, and for some uh, for wrong reasons, that the Kama Sutra is full of illustrations. I've given a lecture in American Marketing Association seminar in Las Vegas about two years ago, and I, I asked the people, could you raise your hand, how many of you believe that the Kama Sutra has illustrations? Fifty uh, percent of the audience raised their hands. In the Kama Sutra, the original Kama Sutra, there isn't even one single illustration. It's all text, which of 80% of it is about philosophy of love and 20% about sexual positions. So believe me, we have a lot, a lot to learn. And yet we hear phrases all the time. Uh, we hear them like, like you put, uh, you know, I love Coca-Cola. I love the way SD Lauder products feel on my skin. It's out there. But I guess we don't realize the power of those kinds of statements because they're feelings. Yes. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, you also ask, let's see, uh, I wrote that down. Where did it go? It's something about are there limitations to this kind of marketing? No. Why should they? It's a. Uh it's a, the question is, what is the definition of marrying a customer? Marrying a customer, it's a very, very simple thing. It just you have to go out of your way to give your customer the feeling that you care about him or her, and, and not necessarily as a, as a reaction to her purchase, even without. I, I, I'll tell you a story that I mentioned in my book. I'll make it short. I, I used to to frequent a hotel in London, uh, and uh, I went there for every every year. I used to visit there five six times, and uh, one time I walked in. I rushed quickly. I put my uh, luggages and I went to the meeting. And I came at night at eight o'clock, and I see a basket of fruits and a letter. Dear Mr. Levy, our record indicates that you've been with us 10 times in the last two years. This time is free on us. Wow. They right. declared us a marriage couple, a married couple. Right. It's exactly as you declare we are, you are a man and a woman. Exactly the same way. Why are men so reluctant to use the word love then? I, I, this is a psychological issue, as I told you, and, uh, and uh, many people are reluctant because they don't know how to, uh, nobody taught us about love, and uh, a lot of people don't know much about it, but it's a wonderful way, maybe, maybe, to uh, study about love via uh, the, the marketing concept. Let me give you an example, okay? Please. In the Gama Sutra, part two starts prelude with a sentence. Preludes and conclusions form part of the act of love. Preludes and conclusions, which means that we have to start our wooing process much before the act of love. The act of love is the buying, is the cash register. And much before the buying process and much after the buying process. Believe me as a researcher, I've done a lot of research about uh, what happens before the purchase. But very, very few corporations really care what happened after the purchase. How do you really use the brand? We don't have time in the 16 minutes that you have assigned it to give you examples of 
many, many brands and products that people are using and the corporation don't know even how to use them, whether they're happy with them, how the family is using them, whether they like them, and, 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 and uh, but why? Because you've, you've bought it already, so what the hell? Yeah, and it's all about maintaining customers' loyalty. Absolutely, absolutely, because ever they like to say that a loyal customer worth seven uh, frequent buyers. What about this uh, part of your book on seducing your competitors' wives? <laughs> Tell us about yes. that strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's very interesting that the monk that uh, wrote the book, that collected all the book, and uh, wrote it down uh, 2,000 years ago, says that, in a sense, you don't, I, don't, I don't preach for people really to go and, and uh, cheat on their wives. If you study how to seduce other men's wives, you better know how to protect your own wife. And uh, it's beautifully put. And really, and my book goes the same. But still, if you want to seduce other brands, wives, customers, you better know that it's a very difficult proposition. And you've got to go ahead and do a lot of research and spend a lot of money. I, I, I will give an example. You know, there are the Pareto Law of 2080, which means that 20% of all customers create 80% of all the profits and the volume of the corporation. Well, let me tell you, it's, a long, it's already a long time since the 2080 has died. And now it's, they say it's 10 or maybe 8% versus 8% of customers give 90% of the volume and the profits. Now, in order to find uh, among the 8 or 9% of heavy users, women, customers that would like to leave the brand they love and come to me, it's a very, very difficult proposition. So be careful when you plan to do it. Do the right research and don't cheat yourself to believe that it will be easy, easy things to and. And why to study it? Because if you study it, you know how to protect your own wife. Jacob, we have about a minute left. Just give us some uh, concluding thoughts about uh, your book, Comma Sense Marketing. Comma Sense Marketing. It's comma in love. And, and, I, and I, I use the word sense because it's based on common sense. So we have both the common and comma. And it's, I've used my creativity, and I leave it to the readers to come up with tenfold, um, ten times more creative ideas from this wonderful new Bible of love. Well, tell us how to get your book, Jacob. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you can find it on, on Amazon's uh, uh, website, in Kindle version, in in hardcover or softcover, and maybe in other areas as well, in other stores. Well, a fascinating look at some very obviously proven marketing techniques, and yet by many are ignored. And, of course, Jacob's book is to help them understand the importance of this love affair with your customers. Jacob, thanks for being on iUniverse Radio. 
Thank you very much, yourself. That was Jacob Levy. He is the author of his book, Comma Sense Marketing, A Love Affair with Your Customers. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus, NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com your story are you living it well you could be it's what's your story with hillary bilbrey friday mornings at 10 eastern 9 a.m central on toginet.com her passion is helping others discover create and live their personal brands yep you heard me you have a brand no different than coke pepsi or nike you are a walking talking living breathing brand you're not a logo you're not a tagline the choices you make become the path you take this is your brand Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Constant Christianity, and the author is Jenny Sidri, and Jenny joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jenny. Good morning, Steve. Well, we're going to give an introduction to your book. Uh, You've written this. I might say something like, want to change convenient Christianity into constant Christianity? Want to change superficial Christianity into sincere Christianity? Want to change obstacles into opportunities? Want to change your focus from me to we? Want to turn problems into possibilities? Want to less the stress in daily living? Want to create a climate of kindness? So this book is about having good emotions in daily life and developing beauty of character. It sounds like something we all need to read. (laughs) And practice, right? That is the key, because a lot of theory is out there in some wonderful, wonderful books. And uh, I applaud all these efforts, and they are outstanding. Uh, A difference of this small volume, Easy Read, is that it offers practical suggestions for actually doing 
all of the good ideas that are out there and also presented in the book. And that's the motivation for you to publish the book? Not exactly, although it is a strong motivation. Uh, The background of the book is my lifelong struggle with bulimia anorexia. Uh, I'm a senior citizen today, but this problem came from childhood, and it wasn't recognized as such that long ago. And even adults just said light comments about something like, well, if you eat all that, you'll get fat. And uh, I ignored it. I was a skinny runt anyway at that point. Still am, because it's a battle back and forth. Anorexia is the skinny side Bulimia is the overweight side, uh, and um, unfortunately, many people may have this problem and don't know what to do with it because most of us try to hide it. At any rate, (laughs) uh, this became evident in my military career and was handled from there. But there was a spiritual and professional counselor outside the military who truly gave me a path that I can do. doesn't have to be monitored by a physician. And that's what this book is all about because these three things, daily meditation, daily self-inventory of myself, did I have good emotions, was I selfish, and uh, daily thought training anyone can do on his or her own time and change your life. It doesn't matter if you're addicted to something or not. Sometimes professional help is truly needed for that. 100% acknowledged. I had to have it too. Uh, But anybody who simply might be bored with life or, uh, let's see, wants to do better or just can't get out of a rut wants to change constantly (laughs) for the better. It has wonderful tips. So if we apply these universal principles in your book, you're saying that we can uh, have greater self-control. Yes, but it's a long road. Self-control has to be supplemented by belief in something that is beyond ourselves. I believe that Every human being on the planet has an innate, inborn sense of goodness in them. I mean, even the hardened thief will acknowledge the tiny child in the house wanting to greet the thief. And the thief will think, I hope that he'll think twice about the purity of that child who just wants to greet him. Uh, There are two stories of a, in, in the slums, a uh, a teenager broke into a house and wanted to steal from the purse. However, um, the woman of the household was senior, and she recognized his youth, and um, she said, listen, why don't you sit down and have a nice dinner anyway before you get started? By golly, he sat down and had a dinner with her. Of course, she went to the phone in the meantime and called the police. But she struck a chord in him, and I think there is a chord like that in everybody. Um, Because even a murderer will plant a rose, 
change a, a person's tire if it's his friend's tire. And so we have to find that drop of goodness in all of us. And uh, these are the three steps that can reach for it. And these universal principles, as you say, also can help free us from the shackles of materialism. Oh, that is a biggie. Today's world seems to respond to money and the new car, the latest technological device, uh, a high-paying job. These things seem to be the standard of happiness and the standard of success in this world. But even our famous movie stars of old or famous millionaires have committed suicide. Even though they had all the material, worldly things they might have wanted. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Well, there's something inside that still isn't being satisfied by any exterior trophy around us. And it's the inner self-satisfaction that comes with knowing, I didn't lie this time. There is an inner sense of belief and an ultimate good beyond what we recognize around us in the material world right now. And that's what the book is trying to help us develop. The, the ancients, I believe, used to honor character, virtue. Even our American Indians of old spoke of the white man with forked tongue. The Indians didn't have to have a written contract because a word, his word was his bond. And uh, they just sealed it by blood. Uh, it was their only way. But it wasn't written down, you know, and now we have to read the fine print, etc., etc. Why? Because we are falling to deceit, and um, the student might think, oh, it's okay as long as I don't get caught cheating. Then it's wrong if I'm caught. But there is something else as we, I hope, recognize. It's the beauty of higher character that endures beyond the grave. And that's what this is all about, seeking that kind of thing. And following what Jesus said, uh, be perfect even as the Father is perfect. Yes, we know that that is, sounds a little bit impossible, but wouldn't he want us to strive for that? And I don't think he meant for us to have the um, the perfect mansion. We can't all automatically have beautiful mansions around in our house. We have to strive from wherever we are right now, and it would take daily communion with with the Almighty. You might call him the higher power. And uh, this can be done through quiet time, and it can be done through looking at ourselves at the end of the day. The book has wonderful ways to do that. We have five basic needs. You could look them over of yourself. Uh, what was, uh, Am I physically well? Why not? Uh, am I vi- are my vital signs correct? And there are five needs, and uh, we could use Benjamin Franklin's model, perhaps. He set for himself 13 virtues. You can find it in his uh, autobiography. And he went down these 13 virtues, things like 
practicing silence when I should. I have everything has its order, etc. Et things like that. I used and still do the seven cardinal virtues, uh, opposed by the seven cardinal sins. The sins are the things we commit every day, uh, such as arrogance, uh, lust, etc. Et and uh, we oppose these by the virtues of humility and spirituality. And these are handles for us to use to assess ourselves. We could simply ask ourselves at the end of the day, was I upset today? And if you look back and you say, by golly, I was. Now, that's fine. That's only the first step, however. We have to ask ourselves, why? Why was I upset? Well, because somebody offended me with those words. Well, all right, you felt offended. That's fine. But why were you offended? Was that person telling you the truth and you couldn't face it? Or was that person perhaps responding from stress in that person's own life? That person has a spark of God, too. And we have to take that with a grain of salt. Psalms uh, 15.1 say, A soft answer turns away wrath. And it's a truth of physics that with every action there is an opposite and equal reaction. That's the same way if somebody yells at me, my impulse is to yell right back. So I give back what I received. It's the higher kind of thinking that will say, wait a minute, that person comes from his own background. Something might have happened in his life. Why don't I say something instead, such as, oh, uh, what was it I said? I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend. What was it? Or, because this might seem slight and light, but smile and, and um, I say, are you all right today? Having a bad time? That certainly doesn't work in all instances. But the idea is we parry the thrust that comes at, at us, the dart of words. And um, we let it drop to the ground instead of firing back because that only fuels emotions in the wrong direction. We have to diffuse unpleasant emotions. And there's so much literature out today about psychosomatic illness. Uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel and Dr. Oz also talk about being calm in our emotions, and that will help our health. And the last one is practicing good thought training all throughout the day. I had this as a very hard time. Because of my weight problem, uh, focused on it, I was always on the skinny side, but I was obsessed with weight. And if I happened to see an overweight person, I would feel scorn. And that is most inappropriate. I was Psychologically, I believe that all I was doing was uh, focusing back on my own problem instead of reversing it and saying something to myself such as, oh, this person's on the wrong path. I send that person help and wishes of goodness. And I remember that person has a soul within him and is probably unhappy, uh, just like I am, and I won't face it. It's, it's a difficult thing to change our thinking. The first step is to be aware of it. <laughs> and that is how we uh, go backtrack and do the daily inventory. We become, a, we become aware 
of our thoughts, which come also from emotions. They go back and forth. And you say that not everyone feels inclined to climb the mountain of character growth because it's hard work. We have a couple of minutes. Make make some comments on that. Indeed it is. It's far easier to remain wherever we are on our plateau and uh, simply go along and rest and uh, keep the life as it was. It's hard to grow. Why? Because it's hard to face ourselves and shake up the boat, as you might say. It's easier to stay right where we are. Let's say you have a friend or you gossip. Don't mean to, but it just comes out all the time, and we excuse it. Something like, uh, well, if he doesn't know about his problem, he can't change, or, well, everybody does it. But what we haven't got in our mind when we do those things is the ideal of honesty, of purity of character, because not everybody likes to gossip. But we simply don't want to face ourselves about it, because it's hard to change, because it's hard to face ourselves. Why? Because it's hard to face the operation of a tooth extraction in order to feel happiness afterward. We don't want to go through the pain of change. It's difficult, Uh, and it takes self-discipline and self-control. Suppose I have a messy house, and I just can't get to it, and so that's simply the way it is. So instead of climbing the mountain to overcome my laziness and sloth, I face it. I say, okay, I can't get it all cleaned on Saturday. Okay, I'm going to clean one room at a time. Tackle it. Well, by golly, I'm facing my sloth and climbing the mountain, trying to grow better. That's the kind of thing. It's a step-by-step pathway, right? Yes, it is. Well, Jenny, we're out of time. Uh, Tell us how to get your book. Why, thank you. This is a self-published book, and it's available through the publication of uh, www.iuniverse.com. It's also available on barnesandnoble.com and Amazon. And uh, you could also email me and talk about the book, and I can also redirect you to these uh, same addresses. My email address is jsidri730 at gmail.com, and a web page is available at constantchristianity.com. Well, thank you, Jenny. Thanks for being on iUniverse Radio. Thank you for having me, Steve. That was Jenny Sidry. She is the author of her book, Constant Christianity. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station.
Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriended is on Tugginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriended Principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to mm-hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, Girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Health for Life, and the author is Liam Chapman. And Liam joins us now on iUniverse Radio, which is brought to you by Trafford Publishing. Hello, Liam. Hello, Steve. Lovely to be with you today. I'm going to read a few things that you've written to kind of give us an overview of Health for Life. You say this, It is a practical, easy-to-read book which provides insight, inspiration, and innovation for your life. It is health-empowering, life-transforming, and thought-provoking, and offers clear guidance to the modern dilemma of how we discover wholeness in a fragmented and complex world. It is unique that it integrates the physical, relational, and spiritual together in a practical, accurate, and credible way. Health for life. Now, let's see, Liam, you're both a doctor and a minister, so you're bringing a dual view, dual vision of health into your book. Now, why did you write this? Well, I mean, I qualified as a doctor in 1993 um, and um, really became um, um, in my face about 1988. And when I qualified, I, I was conscious throughout my medical career that it was very much focused, the kind of Western model of healthcare on very much a kind of a Greek philosophy, which was very much that we're made up of kind of physical cells, and then when we die, that's pretty much the end, and very much a rationalistic, um, science-based model of who we are as human beings. And, and that when I obviously qualified in 93 and then up to about 98 and became more involved in, in really caring for people through the ministry aspect and through meeting people from a broad spectrum of backgrounds, and different health belief models, meet people from different parts of the world, uh, I began to realize that there were many different ways that people around the world viewed the human personality. So, for example, very much in the Western mindset, we thought very much about the Greek model. Um, and But in the traditional Chinese model and other parts of Asia, th- there was conflicting opinions about what made up really as, as human beings. And that really influenced, to some degree, the practices 
of medicine, of faith, and the outworking of faith in terms of within communities. And so that really raised the question for me as, as, as being a Christian and really as being the Judeo-Christian model, probably the, the, the largest faith group in the world, what really is a more Judeo-Christian-based model of, of health and of healing and of disease and of the human personality? And so that was really what sparked the um, interest in this particular book and set me on the journey, really, of discovery um, and interest for myself, which culminated in about six to seven years of research um, brought together, ultimately, in the writing of this book. So you have some key themes throughout your book, and I thought we'd be good to kind of talk about uh, different aspects of those themes, uh, mm-hmm. just in, in general. Uh, one of them is there's a distinction between sickness, mm-hmm. healing, health, and life. Yes. Um, very much in kind of more of the, the traditional medicine model, obviously doctors and other healthcare professionals are very much about treating the disease rather necessarily than the person with the disease. And the traditional distinction in healthcare is very much about different specialties that look after disease. However, many of the diseases that we um, exhibit, that people suffer, are not just a separate entity. They're connected to our relationships, to how we think, to our belief systems, to our background, to our experiences of life. And so I found that um, it was important to begin to look at this from a little bit more of a whole perspective. Also, what caused my interest was that there was a big consumer drive of people who were dissatisfied just with the limitations of conventional medicine, which is excellent within itself. I practice within it. I fully support it. However, the limitations that it can really meet the needs of some of the whole person illnesses, for example, um, some of the physical symptoms of ulcers or stress ulcers or physical illnesses that might come from relationship breakdowns, a lack of fulfilled life, alcohol abuse, lots of other issues that result in physical illness. And so I was really trying to then look at a slightly bigger picture and say, well, what is illness? What is disease? But then how can we move on from that in a whole person perspective and look at a broader view of healing? And healing in the sense of trying to see restoration of a person's life, not only uh, curing an illness, but actually restoring that person to wholeness in terms of their relationships, their identity, the relationship to their past. And that's very much what healing is. Healing is almost like a little bit if a car breaks down, you take it to the garage, you fix the car. However, that car is still, if you like, it's repaired or it's healed, but if there's no engine in the tank, if it's got no direction or purpose, then it's healed, but it's not in health because it's not going anywhere. And the distinction really then between healing and health is very much that health isn't just about being free from disease, but it's about fulfilling one's potential mentally, socially, relationally, uh, community-wise, and finding one's purpose in life. And so there are many, many people who may not be physically sick, but they're emotionally unwell, or they're spiritually empty. So health brings together the physical with the emotional and the relational and also the sense of why are we here, what are we doing, where are we going, that sense of purpose and meaning. And that's where health distinction is about fulfillment of of potential and reason. And then I think the final distinction really about life is then say, well, you know, is that is that even the end of the line? Is there more? 
And I think for me, in terms of looking at the word life, it really defined as what is a God kind of life. In other words, why did God make us and why are we here and what's the purpose for living? Is it just to have a nice house, nice home, not to be sick? Is that the purpose or is there more to it? And that's where really looking at the sickness paradigm to healing, to health, to, to life and life, abundant life, meaning not that we are without sickness or we've got a lot of money, but living life to the full in who we're meant to be. So really, Steve, that, that was the distinction that I draw in this, in this book and begin to define and look at those areas. And I really ask people the question to reflect their own life based on those paradigms and see, you know, are we in health? Are we in life or are we just in a state of being physically well but actually not fulfilling purpose? So that's the clear distinction, Steve, that I like to try to draw in the book. You say the tipping point for health is in the soul, and that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The mind, the will, the emotions, as you put it, are the gateways to the world. Yes. I think what we see in the Western world particularly, where we've had probably very much on the back of a very much a scientific, rationalistic way of thinking, a very strong consumer drive. So people are driven by a materialistic need, uh, a career need, and these kind of issues. Unfortunately, the consequence of this kind of lifestyle often that doesn't look at spiritual fulfillment and doesn't look at purpose and doesn't look at other aspects of values is that we've had almost... Uh, epidemic proportions of marital breakdown, fatherlessness, uh, breakdown of community where people don't feel they belong anymore. People have lost a sense of value in terms of who they are as a person. So we are materially very rich, but in many ways, spiritually and relationally very poor. And that's where the soul, which is the relational part of us, is, is really the, the, the key because if uh, our, our soul is really the gateway to our, to, our, to our physical life and so in many ways when we are, we are um, soulishly empty or soulishly unfulfilled that's sometimes why people end up on drugs and alcohol abuse and, and many, many different issues that happen in people's lives. So it's really saying that the relational part of who we are as people is incredibly important in terms of our fulfillment in life, really, at the end of the day. And laughter is great medicine. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think that what I was really looking to do in the book, what I do is I split it up really into spiritual health, uh, soul or relational health, and then physical health. And I look at a bit of a ladder of health, and which isn't so much to do with treating disease. It's more to do with living life. And that actually, the, for example, the topics I cover are things like fasting, nutrition, those kind of issues, sleep, quality of sleep, but also laughter, which I think is often underestimated, that it is a very good medicine. And I make a quote in the book that really it's hard to be angry when you laugh. And there is a tremendous release of chemicals in the body with laughter. Laughter is a tremendous therapeutic tool um, that I think we all, we all share, whatever our background. And so it's one of the aspects of f- uh, physical health um, that, uh, that I think are incredibly important for a fulfilled life and also being able to put perspective on life. I think if people are unable to laugh, sometimes it's because they're unable to put perspective on their life. And I think it's a very good barometer of really where people are at, at, at peace within themselves. And you talk about aging. A lot of times mm-hmm. when people give their age, and, you know, maybe they're older and there doesn't seem to be that same kind of zest for life that they should have. Yes. 
Very much so. And I think there is almost two sides to this coin. One of them is we live in a society that values youth. And so, therefore, what we tend to do is relegate older people to the scrap heap of life because, you know, when somebody gets over a certain age, it's difficult for them to get a job once they've lost their job. You know, the, the, there's a certain drive in society that really can cause older people to fall off the end. Secondly, I, I think that also there's a sense that we want to hold on to life. And it's mainly, I think, because people perhaps haven't found the purpose in death the, pro the process of aging, that actually life doesn't just for the here and now, but there is a life beyond the grave. That's my personal belief. And therefore, in many ways, we're trying to preserve life rather than live life. And some of that is really at the expense of the quality of life by pursuing quantity of life. And so we have our insurances and our pensions and our big houses but actually the reality, what is the quality of life? And that there is a purpose in aging. I think Shakespeare talked about the models of aging. And I strongly believe that every age of life, whether it's an infant or a child or a teenager or a young adult or a father or a grandfather, these are specific purposes in each of these stages of life that I think we can learn a tremendous. And what is very interesting is that communities that value older people, where the older patriarch is a part of that community are the communities at which people live longer lives. So many studies in the world and have looked at people who've lived over a hundred, part of the quality of that group of people is that they actually value older people and the older person has value in themselves and in the community. So there, there, there is this sense that quantity and quality of life as we get older has a purpose, but it's also part of longevity of life. And I think that's incredibly important. But I think also, Steve, it's important to reflect. I think, you know, we research everything in life. We research the best cell phone deal. We research the best car deal or house deal. But we don't research the question of why am I here, where am I going? And I think that's a very important question that many people don't look at or reflect their lives on and therefore live a little bit unfulfilled and empty lives. And it's an important question I think we all have to answer. And you say health for life is concise, it's easy to read, and that's so important. And then you say this, it has scientific and theological rigor. I like that word, rigor. Yes, yes. I, th I think one of the things I was conscious of, there are many, many books out there on the market about health and well-being and positive thinking and all of, all of these issues, which have some element of truth within themselves. Um, but I felt as, as a scientist, as a doctor, but also as a minister, I needed to have accuracy and credibility. Because in bringing these two fields together, it will be very easy either to, if one like, dilute the quality of what uh, evidence and community, what we're talking about, uh, but also in turn, we're trying to make it too popular, meaning we're just really trying to give people a little, bit of a, uh, a little bit of a sugar pill. But what I've really tried to do in this book is deal with tough issues, real issues, real questions, which is why at the end of each chapter I do a reflective time where people can actually look at their own life in the light of that chapter and three or four questions I ask them. But also I do it in a scientific way, which is why before I actually sent the book off for publication, I got it scrutinized by doctors and ministers to see if I was actually theologically and scientifically accurate. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that they, they were positive in, in that regard. And it's not only for the reader to apply these principles to himself or herself. You also say that 
healthcare professionals should read mm. this and use these kinds of of uh, this kind of thinking to meet the needs of the mm. patient. Yes, I think very much on this is a, this is a very much I do think the integrated health in many ways is the healthcare of the twenty first century. We are seeing a tremendous shift in healthcare, even Western healthcare, where people are realizing that as a doctor or as a nurse, it's not enough just to treat a disease, that there is a, a, a person behind the disease. And, and I think this is where the value of whole person healthcare, looking at the spiritual, the relational, and the physical is incredibly important. And we're seeing this, we're seeing tremendous research, we're seeing healthcare professionals begin to look at this, even within just conventional uh, medical. I'll give you an example, Steve. I had an email today from the chairman of the uh, the main regulatory body for family doctors in the UK he's just come back from Harvard University lecturing at Harvard University in the States and what he came back with was the whole philosophy of whole person care and so really this is something that is not just the extreme health conscious people this is a mainline thing even with the World Health Organization that I realize and even in the developing world that they are not able to implement community-based health models, malaria treatment, these kind of things, without working with faith-based organizations. And this is where there is a whole integration here with the whole person, not only in healthcare, but in leadership development. We're seeing businesses now who recognize the value of charity work or multimillionaires recognizing the value of philanthropy, whether it's Bill Gates or Tony Blair or anybody else, because they realize this is really where value is at. And I think that's why, for me, Health for Life very much is really only a beginning, a platform of raising the issues and saying, let's talk about this, put this on the table, and in leadership development, or not only in spiritual or ministry or church-based work, which is a lot of what I do, but also even just out there, mainline business, cut and thrust business, people are valuing the importance of looking after charities and caring for charities and giving some of their resources to charity. And there is a tremendous sense right across the board that is very much on, on the global agenda, Steve. The title of the book, Health for Life. Liam, tell us how to get your book. Um, at this moment in time, there are two ways. Either through uh, Trafford, the publishers Trafford can do it. You can also get it on um, Amazon. Or you can just email me on uh, pimchapman at AOL.com and we'll post out the copies, copy or copies to you. Well, thanks, Liam. Thanks so much for being on this special edition of iUniverse Radio, brought to everyone by Trafford Publishing. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that very much indeed. That was Liam Chapman. He is the author of his book, Health for Life. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.